Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Marcello. Yeah. How you doing? This is the nicest I ever be in the morning. It's a good fucking morning. Perfect. What's so good about it? Uh, September 29th. Santa Monica? No, Santa Monica. <laughs> California. Santa Monica Lewinsky? You know, that is really offensive. I don't think this is the time to be making Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> Santa Monica Lewinsky. Either that it's, or it's, it's the perfect time. I don't know. It's a stain in uh, a reputation. All right. So anyhow, let's try it again. Yeah. <laughs> take three. <laughs> take three. <laughs> take, try it again. All right, everybody, straighten up. Let's go. All right, no Monica Lewinsky jokes. All right, September 29th, Santa Monica, California. Welcome. Lewinsky. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Santa Monta Triesta. Okay. Look. All right. Obviously, we've had too much coffee already. Isn't this, that cool? But we're up and up and early. We're you know? up. We're up and at them. Where it's it's like what nine thirty in the morning. God, we've even wow. all taken showers. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, that means Clark <laughs> and Magnuson took have showers, taken yeah. showers, <laughs> put on clean clothes. We're, we're clean on this side of the table. <laughs> okay, well, that's why. That's, that's why, why I asked uh, ask you to switch chairs. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. So I woke up this morning and I was thinking about what we were talking about yesterday, and the idea of, of multiple point of points of view in a in a memoir. Right. And I was thinking about this time when when uh, see this is how nerdy writers get. You wake up in the morning and you're thinking about. Questions of point of view. The wicked in the morning will be deleted. But anyway, the what? The waking up in the morning. Oh man. <laughs> maybe maybe we're not awake yet. Yeah. It seems surreal that we're here. That is like like when you wake, whenever you wake, hey, you're thinking about this Saturday now. morning. Yeah. Uh, so so anyhow, I'm, I'm thinking about this time when when uh, twenty three four years ago when Deborah and I got married and we honeymooned in Paris for nine days, and. Uh, you know, Paris was a pretty friendly city back then. Yeah, I, it was. It ran counter to my expectations and to the reputation of the French. We had a great time, and uh, we we went to this brasserie one night. And uh, what's it? What's a brasserie? Eh, it's a big. Yeah, you can look it up later. It's a French word for bras for restaurant. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, Remember, Dairy uh, Queen used to have brazier foods. Remember, they had yeah. this thing, yeah, which was we all thought was really naughty when I was. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but that must that must be somehow related to brasserie. Well, uh, the name of the place, really, <laughs> since detail seems to matter, is, was uh, Le Boeuf Le Boeuf sur le Toit. Oh, c'est magnifique. You know what it means? <laughs> it be- be- beef for two. Nope. It means the, <laughs> the cow on the roof. Hmm. Okay. Le, le boeuf sur le toit. I got, I got a cow on the roof of my mouth. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. it's a big, you know, fancy, uh, yeah. fun, loud French restaurant. Right. But with really good food, fairly pricey. And we're, and we're sitting at a little table and, and uh, uh, over in the corner, there's a piano player. And he's knocking away on something. And anyhow, anyhow, we... So we we order we order uh, off the menu, and I know enough French to get in trouble. So I know the French word for veal is veau, and uh, so we order. I, I get veau for two, and we're eating it. It's the finest veau in the city. <laughs> it's the finest. 
the finest bow that Buffsilatois has to offer. Mr. Garçon, bring us your finest bow. So they did. And we're eating it, and, and uh, it's the most tender. I'm telling Deborah, I said, this is the most tender veal I've ever had. And she goes, this is tender veal. Oh, my gosh, this is so tender. And we're eating it, and it's like, tender, tender, tender. Wait a minute, what the hell is this? Because <laughs> it's, not, it's not what we think it is. So with great difficulty, the waiter explains to us, he grabs his neck, and he goes, sweet wheat bread, right? So we're eating thymus gland, basically, which... It's fine with me. Is that what that is? It's like a gland? Yeah. It's a thymus gland, yeah. Sweetbread. Yeah. I used to think it was brains, but... No, sweetbread is... At Bouf sur la Trois, it's thymus gland. Well, so it was good? It was delicious. <laughs> but of course, as soon as Deborah knew it was thymus gland, that was the end of that meal. Oh, yeah, I, I dig that. Meanwhile, we're, we're listening to the piano player, and, and I'm, <laughs> not, I'm thinking, what is he playing? It had a familiar sound to it, and I'm thinking... Finally, I go to Deborah. I said, oh, oh, he's playing the blues, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it just came together. It was like a paint-by-number form of the blues. So we're goofing on the guy. He, he takes a break, makes a beeline for our table, pulls his chair up, sits down and says, oh, I see you were, in, you were listening to the music and enjoying it. And it's like all of a sudden we're in a position of telling him how wonderful his music is and so forth. And I... I t- Mentioned that I'm a piano player and, you know, try to find common ground. So he invites me to get up and play. So uh, I do. I get up on his little stage and, and uh, I'm looking around and I, I'm thinking, I don't know how to play cocktail piano. So I, I, I just start to noodle something, you know. And then I <laughs> no, see that people are kind of looking at me. And I'm thinking I'm really, do, I'm really making a fool of myself. And so I kind of improvise some shit for a while. And then when I stop... Everybody claps, you know? So I figure, whoa, this, I'm going to move to Paris. <laughs> you do this in America and people just like move further from the piano. They want to talk. Yeah, talk. We can't talk. Can you turn yeah. that down yeah. a little bit? Oh, man. So, uh, so it, it turned out great. And, and uh, I played like the guy goes out and he's smoking with his buddies outside. He just disappears. He was six sheets or so, whatever French word for sheet is. Uh, and so the bartender has, you know, positions, my wife at the bar and, and I'm playing and every night to make a, well, to make too long, to make a, too late to make a long story short, but to make it shorter, we, we ended every night in Paris at this place and they'd have a seat for Deborah and I'd play the piano and became our little home away from home, you know? Cool. And, uh, and the Frenchman waiting for you to show up so you can have a cigarette break. Yeah. Well, yeah, then it occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. working class man. Working yeah. class. That's right. The goal of working class is not the work. All right, so some dipshit <laughs> you, you want to play. Fine. So you want to play? Go ahead. I'm gonna sing a break. Hey, American. You know, look. Oui, oui. Yeah. Oh, the Blanche American plays good blues. Yeah. <laughs> the Blanche American. The what? The Blanche? Isn't Blanche white? Yes. Yeah. Blanche. Blanche. Le Blanche American. The Blanche. Blanche. The Blanche, Le Blanche de l'Etat Uni. Yeah. <laughs> We're smoking Russian cigarettes. You know, I had never thought about like that. Like tobacco. I never thought about that. Like this guy's out in the alley, and I guess what, I'm doing his job for him? Totally, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're doing something for the working class. 
Give yeah. him a break. Yeah. Helping him out. Helping yeah, him out. I'm, uh, <laughs> assisting, <laughs> assisting in the working class and their goal of not working. That's right. And I, yeah, I think okay. it, this is the kind of commitment to service we see in Rick. Oh, yes. Yeah, he tries to find a way to relieve the suffering of others whenever possible. <laughs> he does. I didn't really want to play the piano. But the guy, he hates to play the piano. The guy, but the guy, I hate playing the piano, but the guy clearly was working class because he certainly wasn't a piano player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, he was working through it. He was, <laughs> right, he was... He was, he was sitting, I could, I could see the look on his face. He was thinking, I've played enough notes for the night. Mm. I'm getting paid by the note. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> so, so, so we start talking about, uh, the idea is point of views, right? So oh, how, right. Yeah. So how, so how can we, how can we, all right, that story now. So you told it to us all in front of first person. Yes. I first person passed. Yeah. I I Deborah I did this and are Deborah. Yep. my you know that the, the the piano player, but everything from the first person, right? Right. So we can switch that into it's still kinda of like a mental writing exercise. Retell it in the second person. But remembering that the second person, what's one of the pitfalls? Using too much of what? You you. you. So how do you get around that? Oh come on. No, no, the next the next time you you find some first person writing, yeah, and is do we say oh the pitfall in this is there's too many eyes? Oh, oh, I, my I did, God. I did, I did well, you know, that's that. True, that's true as well. But it's I not did, true. I, I did italicize that. I was, always, I was being sarcastic. The oh, pitfall. Oh yeah, no, the pitfall. pitfall prior and prejudice. Yeah, that that's a falling pit right there. There's a pitfall in every Vietnam story. No, I mean look like here's the, I, I love this book. I've mentioned <laughs> this on the show before. Literally. I love The Hunger Games, man. That but that novel, that first one, it's a crackalacking book. It reads great. Mm-hmm. I in every sentence. I did this. I, I, you know. but That's yeah, how you write in first person. You write in first I'm person not, and look not, at it. I'm not critiquing the first over. person. I'm just saying, let's try to re-say that. You know what? Retell it no, I'm person. just saying, so like to me, if you're going to be writing in first person and you shift to second person, like all the perspectives apply. You just change the fucking pronoun. Right. So why would you want, why, why would you accept the more pronouns in first person in exactly the same grammatical position in the sentences that they would appear and not accept them when they're second person. In second person. I'll tell you why. I think it's the word you. It, because because no, every time no, no, fuck, yeah, fuck you. Every time you say you, it's like the it's the accusatory voice. You're you're poking the reader in the forehead. Your every you it's, breaks it, the fourth wall. It, it's, well, that, well I it, have, do, it I, doesn't know. I have a question. Know. I have a question about that. <laughs> it's second person. I've never written anything in second person. Is it doing that when the when it, when it says you? Is that in when you're writing in second person? Does that make it different than say we're writing in first person and you directly address the reader? Wow. Is it no. different when you're no. using it's not. second person? No, it's not. Okay, let's let's do it this way. Well, well there's a question so, of focalization, so, though. So let's say you're going to write in the first person, switch everything to you. Right. There is the way you can write that. It's actually just simply replacing the I. Yeah. You woke up that morning. Yeah. You headed to Starbucks. You know, right. Hoping the guy to get your cafe. But do you might not think right. that, that after after a few pages of this, the reader's going to be like that? They'll just normalize to the experience. 
if you no, do it like, right. Like, you think the reader is so <laughs> stupid that they'll... No, I'm not you know talking what? about any of that. What I I'm saying six is... six pages. He, he talked to me. What, what I'm saying... <laughs> I can't take we're discussing. He's just pretending that I'm him. We're discussing <laughs> point, points of view. I'm not critiquing it. Just like simple exercise that you... If, you're, okay. if you got nothing, right? And this is actually a story behind Crime and Punishment, Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. It first started off very much like Notes from the Underground. So he was doing this whole first person. I am a sick man. I'm an ugly man, et cetera, et cetera. But then when he started working on Crime and Punishment, he's like 30 pages into it. And he says, I'm going to just turn those, all this into third person. Right. This, was, yeah. this really, really has nothing to do with me, I. Right. So then we get Raskolnikov and all that. You know, get Crime and Punishment. So that simple switch. You got nothing. You transition. You might get something. That's all I'm talking about. But the I don't second have, person is highly stigma, stigmatized absolutely, in the yes. learned writing community. Right. But right. Yet the it's, fact remains, if anybody tells you a story anywhere you live, it's going to be in second person. But it's a problem of the English language. Because I actually make this comparison. People who I speak to, you know, they'll at least have some French or maybe some Spanish understanding of the usted. Uh-huh. So in Spanish, we have the usted. Is that where you live? So the usted. Yeah. I hear? Yeah. <laughs> The usted is where you can simply say, okay, you refer to father, not mom, and that's the usted. It's like the formal way of addressing someone. Mm-hmm. It yeah, replaces so. the you. But in English, you is like Bronx. Hey, you, what the fuck are you looking at? Yeah, right. Hey, you's guys. It's very in your face to you. Also happened now that in Spanish, they switched to two. Two meaning in you. Well, that, the in, informal? The, well, informal? that's supposed to be in the informal. Yeah. Vosotros, vos, which we use in Argentina, was the formal. But the Argentines use the vos as the informal. What I'm saying is this is a problem with the English language that the you can get in your face. Yeah. So what I'm just saying is if you're going to, there's a way to lessen the blow or your I. You really want to fucking hear someone, in my opinion, I believe. I saw this. I, you know, I it, went there, here. I'm not saying this. Went- I'm just saying this. It's a matter of editing. Get it right. Get it flowing. I mean, there are certain problems with any type, even the third person, you can go overboard. It used to be that, that, that you know, one of the things I heard in grad school in Florida was like, if, if you're writing third pers- first person that's tending toward the third in its tone, you know, mm-hmm. then you're having maximum. And then you're talking about something rather than focalizing right. every activity. Exactly. Bringing it into the mind, because it's implied. Right. You get past... The I saw this, and you just described the scene. That's correct. And correct. Presume, and the same thing, because and that goes to the point of you can have too much I. You want to get out, out of the reader's head a little bit and into the world. So in the same way with you can have too much you because. Well, so like the it seems to me that if you mention second person, I mean everybody freaks out. Oh, I know. I, I, you know, yeah. oh my, God, my very to- first yes. teacher said. Never, never write in I know, second and then person. You know what? You know what I would have done. You tell me I can't do it. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah, that's I'm all. Gonna write second person. I, do. I, I write second, second person all the time. F minus. Yeah, it's all long. You just keep them coming <laughs> until finally she gives you a C. <laughs> all right. Well, you know what? It's it's. Uh, go ahead, Bob. What are the uh, the uh, the benefits of choosing to write in second person? What does that give you that that? first or third or omniscient doesn't doesn't allow poetical tone mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. yeah that's just the sound you hmm. you've been alone on the streets for a long time 
<laughs> I need to get some more coffee. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna hang on. I'm writing that down. <laughs> it's it's a Rorschach ink yeah. plot. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm gonna cross out the U. So, so okay, you've actually made... that was Rick did a self portrait. It looks, it looks kind of like an anus. It looks like an anus. <laughs> it looks like an asshole. Now you can see what kind of weekend we're having. <laughs> oh God! So, ladies and gentlemen, we will not be. We're not going to be discussing points of view. <laughs> Actually, we were, we were having a, a rife example of multiple points of view. So, so you have a multiple personality. So, there's that other story about the guy who goes into the psychiatrist's office, right? And mm. the, and uh, the, he's saying, you know, I'm tense and everything, and I need some help. And the shrink says, well, let's try to figure out what's wrong with you. And he and he uh, shows him the, the book of Rorschach. That's how you say it, Rorschach. Mm, I think so. Pictures. He shows him the first picture. He says, "So what do you see?" And he says, "Well, that's a vagina." And he says, "Well, okay. We'll turn the turn the page." He says, "What do you see there?" He says, uh, two people having sex." Because he, he turns <laughs> turns the page. <laughs> he says, "So what do you see there?" And he says, "That's a that's a, somebody masturbating." And <laughs> a shrink looks at him. He says, "Man, you've got it. Some kind of a dirty mind." And the guy says, me? They're your pictures. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> They're your pictures. <laughs> He's got all the Yeah, guy. my psychiatrist has got all these <laughs> pictures of naked women. Pornographic you know, stuff. <laughs> all this pornography. Pornographic ink blot. That's probably the shorter version of the, of the joke. But, you know, okay, you've hijacked Marcello because he wanted to... Let's, Coming back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Retell your story in the second person. Lurking over. So we're going to, let's let's find out. Yeah, find out. What Bob's getting coffee for everybody. I can hear you. Okay. <laughs> so where did you want to go with that? Did you want to like say, what would this story sound like in second person? Yeah. Okay. What would, what would it sound like? Well, go ahead and try it. Oh, who, me? Yeah, it's your story. <laughs> okay. So you come and, Okay. So you're See, on, right away, but yeah, you're okay. on your honeymoon. Changes tone. You're on your honeymoon. You went to the you attitude. You go and you're looking all over Paris. You're you and your wife. You're having a great time, and uh, you find this brasserie called the Cow on the Roof. And you go in and you think, okay, you're going to have a nice meal. This guy sits next to you at a table. And he pulls out a cigar, and you just kind of give him the stink eye. And you say, well, you're not going to light that, are you? And you're you're amazed to find that the guy. You know, puts the cigar away. You say, okay, so, so uh, Paris is more civilized than you thought it was. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're listening to this piano player, and not in, over over in the corner, and you've got no idea what he's playing. You know, and you're talking about <laughs> and neither does your he. wife, and and then and then and then your wife looks at you and she nudges you and she says, she says "Oh, he's playing the blues." <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to stop there because we've heard the story. Right. But, but mm -hmm. I think you, you've made a point there. Yes. The, the, the whole tone of the storytelling changed. Right. And you stopped wandering. In the eye, you're kind of thinking through the story yeah. as you were saying. Well, that's because well, it's natural for us to tell a story in, in, in first person. You know, right? 
So then when you're, when you, right. there's a strain to form it in. So it doesn't, it, it comes more chunky linear because you got to think how you're going to chunk this stuff together if you need to change the right. pronoun in every sentence. Right. You put in the constraints, you get pronoun. Yeah. You can't, you it's not just changing the pronoun. You can't take a, a first person piece of prose and just replace I with you. It, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, it, by, it, and it by the does. same it, token, it, I, I've I've done multiple times done stuff where I, maybe I've written it in first person and I change it into third or right. vice yeah. versa. That's usually my move. Thing. Yep. You know, and then then it's not like that. Like you you can start out by changing all the pronouns just to give you something to do with the document. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, kind of like busy secretarial work. But then then all the the tone and the flow and everything changes. You know, right. you just think I do we, <laughs> mm -hmm. or, or I do he or Billy. Like it's the Billy is so different from I, you know. It's just as a yeah. Did you, you switch know? into the past tense? Do you? When you were so you notice that? No, I, I was in the present. You were in the present. When you were you're on your honey, you were uh, yeah. I don't even remember. Did I do present or past? That, that's interesting as well because well, you you tend to fall in the present because that's how you tell stories. Right. You walked in. Oh, yeah. You walked into the... The, the deer the, comes so you, over the hill. That's a big one. And he talked to you. I, I'm out hunting. And he said to you. Yeah, that's past say, tense. Yeah, but you say, I walk I walk into the berserk. Yeah, I run into him and he says to me... Right. Okay. So even tenses begin shifting in tone. I mean, language has got, on a sentence level, these little decisions are interesting. So what, what, I, what my worry... It's not a worry, really. But what I think about point of view is that it, it has turned into like a set of laws that you might violate. Yeah. Right, you know, right, and and I, I mean, I, I mean, that's why I get stickler. I'm a stickler about you know, ragging on the second person, because you know, theoretically, it should you know be. But able not to ragging perform. on the second person, but give us an example. <clears throat> what do you mean, in like someone who is offended by it, or look? I'm just saying, look how we started this conversation. You know, like the immediately, you know, that you got to be careful about how much you're going to do it. You know, like don't. Well, it's like obviously. stay away from that. No, because yeah. it's a challenge. It's like right? there's a nice bottle of weird booze over there, but don't drink it all at once. Even comps. though it's going to be the best night of your life. <laughs> my, my day job, which I'm not going to quit, I teach composition at a college. <laughs> and the biggest problems that these students were taught in high school to use the U. So they're starting off these essays, argumentative essays, with you. And the tone is off-putting. Off-putting? Off-putting. Off-putting. <laughs> I like that. I like no, no, no. 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 Here. No. There will be no whipping. <laughs> the tone is... It's a bit off-putting. Offing their pudding. The tone is... Well, I'm sure we've all been there before. <laughs> He's off-putting. He's off-putting. <laughs> I see you didn't get me any coffee. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Oh. You didn't ask for any. No, I'll go get some. Carrie, uh -huh. talk amongst yourself. No, it's All just right, going to be will. awkward silence. Over yes. close to the other room, he's not talking under his breath. Fuckers. Yes. <laughs> that Clark. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Sons of bitches. So you go into the kitchen to get some coffee. I've never considered writing in second person. It just, there's something about it doesn't feel. I actually <clears throat> published a short story in, in Esquire magazine in, se in second person. So that that made me feel cocky for life. Although I never wrote in second person ever again. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess my Barbies are some of my Barbie pieces are in second person. 
you have the option in second person to drop the you. When not criticizing the you and not critiquing its uses or anything like that. You walk into the room, right? Mm-hmm. Walk into the room. Phone's ringing. Pick it up. Yeah. You walked into the room. Yeah. Pick up the phone. You know, pick up you know your phone or so the you. There, there are ways to in the same way when you're overdoing it. I think not to sound negative or like that, but like unnecessary. I, I think. I know you're thinking. Yeah. It's a filter. Yeah. Right. In my opinion, just give me your fucking opinion. Write it out there. Right. Put we it out there. I know it's your opinion. I know it's your op- yeah. opinion. And yeah. I think. And I'm just saying that you, yeah. it when you start when you start revising, you can flip it around, and have some fun with it, especially with the imperative, which that's interesting to do as well. Do the whole command. That's short stories that I read that are, I think one was one is from Juno Diaz, how to date a brown girl, white girl, something like that. Yeah, yeah. that he does it all with commands, the imperative. No, oh. that's a short story. So you drive to her house. Drive to her house. Pick her up. Pick her up. Feed her. Feed her. Give her food. That's right. They don't, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Out there. And then maybe some drink. Right. <laughs> and then you drive her home. That's right. You get her phone number. Now you can switch it around. Yeah. Oh, I see. I, I shifted out of the imperative back into you. Well, you, that's, that's, that's your kind of like, there's an implied you at times. Yeah. So not this thing you, but once, once in a while mm-hmm. you can switch it around. You can get into the imperative and have fun with your story. Now let's take the same story again. I guess we're getting into a canoe. Raymond Canoe, or Canoe, mm-hmm. Canoe, Canoe, mm-hmm. the exercise of style, mm-hmm. much, pretty much what we're doing. Same story in the third person. Okay. I'm getting bored with this story. Yeah, that's what I'm going here. <laughs> no. Piano player walks into a bar. <laughs> so it's, it's going to get shorter <laughs> in the third person. Yeah. Piano player? <laughs> yeah. Hell, All right. It's a piano player looking for work, and he's walking down the street, and he's in the bar window you know help one a piano player one so he goes in and applies and the guy says well let's him you know it's a there's nobody in there that the atmosphere doesn't happen until later on in the night he says let me hear let me hear what you got let's see let's hear your licks guy gets up there and he rips off some stuff just some wonderful music bartender says wow he says i like that he says what do you what do you i've never never heard that composition before what do you call that and he says i Call that one, uh, I love you so much, my ass hurts. <laughs> <laughs> the bartender says, what? That, what kind of a name is that for a song? And the guy says, well, you know, I write a lot of my own music, and I like to give them, uh, you know, quirky little names or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, the bartender says, well, okay, that's all well and good. He says, but tonight when you play your own arrangements, you know, just keep the title. Just play the music and keep the title to yourself. Bartender says, well, yeah, okay, I can do that. So nighttime comes, the bar, the, the piano player the, the piano player says, yeah, I can do that. The evening comes, the guy shows up for work, and he's up there playing around, and he's, you know, everybody's happy. They're all applauding and smiling. <laughs> he stops. He needs a break. So he comes walking away from the stage, and he's coming by a table, and a woman says, excuse me, do you know your pants are unzipped and your dick's hanging out? <laughs> and he looks at her and he says, know it? Lady, I wrote the goddamn thing. <laughs> third person, ladies and gentlemen. Third person, ladies and gentlemen. Third person. That's what I mean. Point made. Point of view made. <laughs> so, 
So how would you tell that joke? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's the answer. No, no, you don't. How would you know? (laughs) I've had enough. I'm going back to Miami. (laughs) That's a song, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going back to Miami. Oh no, it was a, it was a Martin Mull song. Remember M I A M I in heaven or am I in Miami? <laughs> oh my God. You're just getting worse. <laughs> that was Martin Mull. <clears throat> mailman. Mailman? Nope. Way early for the mailman. Hang on. Let's take let's take a break. Take five. You know what? Wilson says it's time to take a break, so we're gonna take a break. All right, talk All right, to you guys right. later. We'll be back after this message. That was dumb. The fun I've had and I'm gonna have to leave it I'll go back up to Terrytown and tell the Bagel Ranch I found a good location for another branch It's right inside a hotel in Miami Spell Miami and then ask me why am I So this is you, my you guys, friend. You guys are rushing me. <laughs> no, East Anchovia. <laughs> Coming to you live from Anchovia. Near me. the briny, the briny sea. <laughs> the briny or the fresh sea. plains. <laughs> How do you like your anchovies? Oh, we're on. Over easy. Oh, okay. Okay. So I you know, I've been remiss in my duties as host and I need to remind our listener exactly who we are. You probably know by now that this is Rick Crisman. You're provocateur, as they say. We're kind of skewing French today. And <laughs> I'm joined by my face-to-face provocatees who have flown in from all over the country and the world. And right across from me is Mr. Bob Clark. Ta-da. And to my right is uh, Marcello Vasquez, who came in from Florida via Argentina. And... Category for me is a man who needs no introduction. So let's just move. What were we talking about before? We were talking about point of view. I forgot. <laughs> that's what, that's what this mem- fuck memoir. I can't remember nothing. Oh, no, no. We're not talking about memoir. No. Where's the horn? Anyhow, Mike, Mike Magnuson over there in the corner. That's hey, yeah, him. Okay, so we're talking about point of view, and and just to sum up and to try to push this along, I was going to say that there are three areas of point of view that that we can deal with. First is like, is it first, second, or third person? Secondly, is it present tense or past tense? And you find that that's an aspect of point of view, too? 
Maybe not technically, according to the book, but it's a similar kind of consideration that you have to make this subjective decision. Am okay. I going to write present tense or past? All right. But then I'm going to say the third thing, which is quite literally, who's telling the story? From whose perspective? Like in a memoir, typically it's one person. But in my piano story, you have the story of, you know, you could the piano player could tell the story. I think the other example is, when you say point of view, would it be, is it from the point of view of Tonto or the Lone Ranger? <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. That's good. There could be two, uh, the first 15 minutes could be the Lone Ranger, and then the next 15 minutes could be Tonto. Right. The masked man or the sidekicked, sidekicked. <clears throat> I wonder if Tonto knows Robin. <laughs> they hang out. <laughs> they go play tennis and shit. He and Robin and uh, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> An aqua boy. <laughs> That's one way to do it appropriation, right? Give them all masks. There yeah. you go. There yeah. you go. That's good. Tano didn't get a mask. No. No, he had the wig. <laughs> Native Americans get the wigs. Tonto. In the shaft. Clark, you've got a newspaper there. And? And that's what I was going to say. And are we boring you? No, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I was reading this morning in the uh, LA Times. There's been a new trial ordered over uh, the Stairway to Heaven claim that uh, Led Zeppelin uh, appropriated it from uh, the band Spirit, who... I was informed by Mr. Magnuson this morning. Was the opening band for Led Zeppelin on uh, one of their tours, huh? Yeah, Spirit. Yeah, that's true on a on a very early tour. Yeah, and uh, Zeppelin—they've been accused of lots of appropriation, if not out and out stealing. I think there's a even a website you can go to that has ten songs, you know, the original version and the yeah. Led Zeppelin ripoff, so-called ripoff. I mean, it's all. It's all up for grabs. Um, You're going to play the, the I'm going to try and song? find, yeah. This, I, this was an interesting. Yeah, when you hear when you hear it, there's no doubt where those opening bars came from. Yeah. So here's, here's the song. This is Spirit. Okay, I'm, you know what? I'm going to move forward a little bit. Good, because this yeah. part is just, man, this sucks. Yeah. Zeppelin didn't steal this shit. No, no. <laughs> But wait, isn't that cashmere? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> See? <laughs> oh, the first oh. stir of his loins. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This Oh yeah, and here's see, spirits heaven is a happy place. Oh right. yeah, I like right. that. This is I'm going out the back door into the beautiful yard. Look. A hummingbird. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, that's 
that's way more my idea of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> so they so they didn't steal all of it. There's just an aspect to it. There's just that descending. And what do you call that? I think in in composition you call that a line cliche, where you uh, you sort of keep one chord in the right hand uh-huh. and then just go the bass line down either chromatically. In this case, they do it chromatically. Uh, you could take a song like A Wider Shade of Pale and they do it diatonically, meaning within a certain key. Okay, right. So it's just, it's just, it, it is a line cliche. Composers do it, Bach did it. Right. You know, uh, what, Jesus Joy of Man's Desire. It's got that da dung 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 da 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 Right? Okay, so what are they... Whereas uh, they so, were originally convicted, Led Zeppelin of convicted. <laughs> Whatever yeah, the word is, they were acquitted. Well, they were originally convicted, and then it was overturned, right? No, I think they were originally acquitted. Oh, and that's been overturned. Now they're they're Lost they're saying uh, criminal charges. They're opening them back up again. Oh, accusing them because just of what you were just uh, what you were just describing here. If I can find it, yeah. Here we go. We got real newspaper here. Yeah, we uh, do. We do. This is old school at Acme. Yeah. Uh, Takes a lot longer. <laughs> what do we call it? The the judge, uh, they in the appeal, they found that the judge had uh, done something wrong by uh, telling the jury that uh, what what they'd done was pretty much okay, you know, done all the time. Oh, it was a like I was saying. He said um, he he told the jury that common musical elements such as descending chromatic scales, arpeggios, or short sequences of three notes were not protected by copyright, and that's why there you go. It's been opened up again. It was a chord progression, just an arpeggiated. Whoops. Well, that's just like you know before, like. The, the the chord changes from I got rhythm rhythm changes are the same chord changes exactly for uh, the Flintstones theme, right? Oh, yeah. So is, is that a, is that you go to get sent to jail for plagiarism? You do that? No. But I mean, because they're like, just chord changes. Then rhythm changes is just a standard sequence, it's, and everybody yeah, like the twelve one, bar blues. You one know? six two five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's 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 what you do with it, really. So. You know, it's interesting. Along these very same lines, there was another song. Remember the song "Whiter Shade of Pale"? Mm-hmm. Whoops. <laughs> Hear the bass? Bum, bum. Okay. So that—that's a nice background. Let's just keep that running. That. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so this is the song proper that starts when Gary Brooker sings the lyrics and they're playing the chords. So when they're recording it, the uh, the organ player just worked out this nice organ part that was so nice that they repeated it a couple times. But he didn't get any songwriting credit because originally they wrote the song, you know, so... I was maybe three or four years ago. He finally sued uh, Matthew Fisher sued Gary Brooker for ownership of the copyright because of his contribution of the organ solo. Uh-huh. Uh, 
and won. Won forty percent of the music. But right, because he is the song, you know. Well, that's what we always think of, right? Yeah. Is yeah, that organ yeah. line, right? Yeah. But of course, you make a strong case that this is the song here. A line of literary merit. Anyhow, I just thought it was notable that you have two uh, lawsuits about music, both of which involve a descending line cliche. Huh. But the thing that got him a piece of the copyright was not, the line cliche alone was not considered sufficient to give Gary Brooker the song, the whole song. He needed the organ solo as well to account for the full copyright. But when is there a point where uh, appropriation becomes plagiarism, or or are the two one and the same? I mean, one man's appropriation is probably another's plagiarism, right? I don't think so. No man, plagiarism no? is a legal is a legal definition. Appropriation, I think, happens on a more uh, a deeper cultural level, like just to 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 stay with the music. I, I mean, here I am, a white guy who's grown up playing in blues and soul bands. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I don't think of myself as, you know, stealing culture from somebody and making any... I mean, I still make the same 50 bucks a night I made when I was 16, so... Right. <laughs> we all know that music's worth way more than that, but... Uh, I've been so, uh, Led, so Led Zeppelin, uh, using the, that uh, opening is uh that's not appropriation that's just out and out plagiarism right in this lawsuit yeah yeah there was nothing uh particularly i'll tell you the i'll tell you where the appropriation comes from if you consider a wider shade of pale they're appropriating a bachish way of composing right. music mm-hmm. you can't point to the literal bach piece he's stealing uh-huh. It's kind of a combination of the two with his own contribution. But mm. he's definitely, ta- you know, you needed to have Bach write this stuff That's the in influence. order for him to do this. Right. Yeah. The influence. Right. You needed the Mississippi Blues for the Rolling Stones to. Yeah. Right. You needed, you needed Muddy Waters going da 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 yeah. so that Led Zeppelin could go da 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 Right, <laughs> way better though. Come on, it is way better. Yeah, man, Zeppelin just kicked. You know, come on. Think of the times you've been driving down the freeway. Let the let the listener know Mike is raising his fist up in the. Yeah, like like, like a kind of in a low rider kind of thing. Where that's I'm I'm, I'm reaching up in the air to grab the low, top of my steering wheel. Yeah, said low. Yeah, just looking over. The, <laughs> he said low. Barely looking over the dash. Just cranking Zeppelin. I'm oh, sorry. Way down inside. <laughs> Rick raises his fist. That's <laughs> Woman, <yeah>. you need <laughs> me. Oh, what? see, see, and he stole from the castrati as well. <laughs> oh well, that's inexcusable. He stole from the castrati. I've been given a note from the from the audience. 
It's like, what's it say? The word tonto means stupid in Spanish. Is that right? Right. Tonto. Tonto means stupid. Tonto. Wow. We say tonto, but it's tonto. Tonto. Tonto means idiot, stupid. That's why tonto is yes, Lone Ranger. Wow. And uh, that's why Lone Ranger is masked, because I was wondering why he was masked. Because so people couldn't identify him and then go kill his wife and kids? Isn't that the standard disclaimer for the mask in all superheroes? Not no. To he protect was, your loved he ones? Was, he was left for dead in a uh, iron mine or something, I think, by some desperados. And uh, Tano found him and revived this him, brought great. him back to life. Are you and, making this uh, up? The, no. Yes, that's the no. Indian way. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Lone Ranger... This is good medicine. Uh, that's where he got the silver, the silver, you know, his horse's name silver, and his famous silver bullets all came out of that silver mine. And wait, wasn't J, wasn't wasn't Jay Silverheels Tonto? Yeah, it was Tonto. So the silver mo- motif actually well, moves out his, into that reality was his real name, but in yeah, a Borgesian yeah, kind of way, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. The guy probably when he went in to audition for the part, he probably noticed all the silver and stuff in the script and changed his name to Silverheels. Jay Silverheels. I don't think so. No? I think that was his name from the beginning. I'm, I'm engaged but yeah, in that's the story of, That's the story of uh, Hi-Ho Silver. Hi-Ho Silver. Away. Hi-Ho. Hi-Ho? Who's this? Who's used to watch it religiously. <laughs> the lone, that's, that's the lone Ranger does. Does he have his little <laughs> pinky sticking out? Hi-Ho. Uh, hey. <laughs> He hey, said, man. like, I'm home. We're talking about the Lone Ranger now. Yeah, take it easy there. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, I've, uh, I've had an actual encounter with the Lone Ranger. When I was, I was river rafting with a friend of mine and our kids. No, not our kids. Before we had kids. We were going down the Rogue River on a five-day trip. Nice. And, uh, you know, there's some class four and five rapids on that. So it's, it's kind of a tough trip. And there was an older man with us, with his 11-year-old grandson. And uh, the river guides took us aside before the trip began and they said, we just, you know, we want to get the elephant out of the room and let you know that this is in fact Clayton Moore, the Lone Ranger, and he does not want to be identified or doesn't want to have any references to that on this trip. Mm-hmm. Just so you understand. Okay? Once you hear that, Rick's just like, oh, so, so we're like, <laughs> Where is you know, it? we're paddling, he's on point. And it's like, uh, we're going down the river and the Lone Ranger is paddling through the rapids, you know, and somebody, you know, and invariably is going, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yell, oh, silver. And the whole time, and this is before digital cameras, this film cameras when pictures were important. Right. And we were taking various opportunities to have our picture taken with him <laughs> without actually posing it. You know, like, like he's right. just sitting there and you go over to stir the fire or something and somebody takes a picture. So... Photo bomb. We did this all week, and so at at the end of the week, we uh, we're all having, <laughs> week of this. We're, we're all having dinner together, <laughs> and, no. and my friend, whose name was Forrest, he he met the guy, ran into the guy in the in the bathroom in the men's room, and they're standing there pissing, and 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 he says, you know, I, I got to tell you, it was a thrill going down the river with you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and, and, and the guy says, what are you talking about? 
He says, yeah, he says, you know, the whole Lone Ranger thing. He said, I know you didn't want to make a big deal about it, but we just all thought it was really cool. He says, what Lone Ranger thing? <laughs> the guy was not Clayton Moore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. We were totally had. It was like, you know who he was? He was Mike's mom. (laughs) 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 It was was Mike's mom, Kevin. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Ain't got nothing. We got. We're back to our original topic, aren't we? We We got got nothing. That's going to be the theme of season two. I think. I think going down the river is the theme of season two. I think we're just following where it's going, you know. But at, at any point yeah. in time, Mike might go over and play the piano or... Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I think that's your job. So, <laughs> i got all the jobs. Well, he can actually play the piano, that's the thing. Um, I play drums. What are we doing now? We're, we're passing notes. Oh, do you have something you'd like to share with the class? Well, I think, like, so, like, let's just think about the... Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think I wrote a note here in that popped in my head when we talked about Tonto and Lone Ranger, about appropriation. So can you write about the reservation when you're not from the reservation? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, is there any... any uh, what would you write? How would you even know? Oh, there's a couple. I've read a couple of short stories. We'll mention names. People I know who are not, zero Native American are writing about the, uh, what the about great experience though? in a reservation. What if you want to write a, 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 a fictionalized account of Tenzing Norgay climbing... Uh, you know, Mount Everest or something like that, right? And he's dead, you know? Or, you know, say he's not Tenzing Norgay, just like somebody's going to climb Mount Everest, right? Right. Like, are you, when you, you don't have, you're too old and aren't in good enough shape to go climb Mount Everest. Does this mean that you can't do the project? You can't research everything about it and then you're just appropriating it? You mean as non- what if you want to write fiction or nonfiction? It's just, let's say fiction. So what if you want to set something in Roman times? You know, are you your own appropriating? Much Roman safer culture? to do it that way, yeah. Safer choice. Well, yeah. Who's going to call you on that? Well, I mean, that this is the thing. You know, you need the ability to do that if you want to do that. Like we were saying before, you can. People might get cranky. Oh, right. Like, but if, like Kwame says, you can. If you can I write can't what you write want. about being yeah. from the reservation because I'm not from the reservation, then really all I can write about is myself. Now I, I can't. I can't set. Anything other than in the places where I have lived, and and I can't really project anything other than this is all just my experience. You know, I can't see somebody walk across the street and then gotta go into their head because you you can right. You know, you see somebody having a bad day, you know right away. You know, you give I me mean, that's that's what we do. We we project our thoughts into other people and try to assess what they might be thinking about us or not. Or you know. It's a constantly evolving sort of sequence of perceptions. And you know, that's the thing about the reservation, too. It's like, I'm sure on the reservation, you can look at somebody and see if they're having a bad day or not. Right. Right? And you're not... Maybe the key to appropriate to writing about the reservation is not to write about the reservation, but to just write about people. See, I don't know that. I think they're... That, that live on the reservation. Sure. You talk about people doing research for writing books or their short stories or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what the research is for. It's to take you to another place to try to uh, use your fictional skills to create a character in a moment in time and space. Mm-hmm. 
and place them anywhere you want to set it. You want to do it, you know, hanging around with Napoleon. Right. You would have to do a lot of research, you know. And if you'd have to, if you wanted or you to have just a, make stuff up, if you wanted to have it set with the whistle people in, in Oaxaca, you know, because you know that's true, right? In, in Oaxaca, the whistle Mexico, people. there's a the, the whistle language. There's a whistle language that the tribe, the uh, maybe tribe is not the right term. I think so. Yeah. You know, and so like so they 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 don't talk whistle. I think when they're hanging out at the close proximity that we are now. But if, like, your buddy's on the other side of the canyon, you kind of go, like, you know, (laughs) you know, Uh guy across the lake. I'll meet you at the stream. (laughs) Uh, Maybe not quite yet. I've still got, uh, I'm still here with Maria. (laughs) 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 Baby, years ago, I uh, went to El Paso and worked at uh, UTEP. University of Texas El Paso for a while. Right. And they had their resident, and I'm Argentinian, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself license to say this. Their resident, uh, they're the resident South American Indian. So the guy goes to me, he goes, yeah, you see that guy? Yeah, what, the poncho? Yeah. With the sandals, with the tires. Now you take straps, you know, you take the mm-hmm. piece. You, yeah. You, yeah, that there guy, yeah, that, 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 that guy was a tailor in my hometown, in El Salvador. What do you mean? He's not Indian. What well, he's, well, he's, now he's a poet, so I mean, he's he's playing, he's playing the card, you know. He's like he's appropriating the, you know, the local Indian tribe. And he's coming over, he's writing all about it, but that's not the guy. And it gets up there, you watch. He's ma- he's making up the accents and everything. He's full of shit. And they actually got into it one night at a bar. The dude, the other guy, guy, you know, a little too many, you know, he scoes in him, yeah. and they got right into it. You pedazo merda, and they got right into it because you're calling each other out. Well, here's a here's a class. I mean, I'm talking about like the author himself, like your writer, right? appropriating a culture, you know, going into your DNA pool or yeah. you know, doing your test. Yeah. Oh, here, here's a little bit. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the, the next, uh, uh, Cherokee or whatever you want to you know, Sioux well, Indian writer, or you want to go to the reservation now because you found some link and that's what, and that's what, and that's how you're going to sell yourself as an author, as a writer. I think that's more of an appropriation. If you have a Elmore Leonard novel, right. And you have a, Two, two you know, characters just rob a bank in Pompano Beach, and right, and they take off, and you know they're being chased, and whatever it is, some grand caper and schemes and things, right? Or better yet, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, remember that? Uh, no. They they took off, and they ended up in a in a in a shootout with federales in Bolivia. That's how they went down, right? Oh right, so right. So, right. right. so they go to, they go to Latin America, and they some, and they're hiding out, and they spend some time with the, the Mapuche. Right, indigenous people in, in in Argentina, and they're spending some time, and maybe Butch get falls in love with, you know, with one of the one of the girls or whatever it is, and has a child, and whatever it is, it becomes this wonderful, beautiful story. That's not appropriating. You're just passing through, and that writer can write about that. You're not claiming to be Mapuche, but I'm saying authors that take on the identity of appropriation of a culture that they said they're they're pretending to be part of. Make any sense? I tell you, no, the, no, I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yep. yeah, yeah. There's more than just the, the the writing about it. They're appropriating the entire lifestyle, right. the manner of dressing. Yeah, but even, that's what you got to do. I mean, it's that's one thing to do it as an artist. It's another thing to put in your promotion. Yeah, like, if I want to write a book about living on a Greek island and I was raised there, yeah, right. I yeah. mean, I, I would not want to like have to write it like it was me writing it, you know? 
You're laughing at me. I'm smiling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you always go for the safe example on a Greek island. Yeah, well, no one's going to cr- call you out on a Greek island. Yeah, no, but if then I went around and I sold my book as if I were Greek, you know? Yeah, but no one would believe it. Oh, well, see? <laughs> so I can't appropriate yeah. nothing. I'll tell you, the, I, I think the greatest, most complex example of literary appropriation was, uh, what's the guy's name, Griffin? Black Like Me? Oh, right, right. Oh, yeah. Where he yeah. actually died as, yeah, you know, he radiated his skin to, to, make, to make his skin dark. black. And then, I well, mean, I think is that ultimate appropriation or like the greatest researcher in the world? I think it's an interesting premise. Right. Yeah, it it's is. Take a guy to see what it's like living inside the other. Yeah. I think it's kind of a metaphor for what you're talking about. Well, I think, you know, Martello is, is greatly influenced by Subcomenante Marcos. You know, we've mentioned him on the show before, mm-hmm. and uh, he he is uh, like from Spain, I think, and he's like six foot two Spanish guy. Came to Mexico, and then a professor at UNAM University. Yeah, he's a professor. So then he goes and up and moves to the mountains with the people in Chiapas, mm-hmm. and wears a mask and is never seen without a mask for the rest of his life. This is a true ski person. mask type. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so and he like speaks. A- uh, Nacho Libre, or kind of, and he he writes in the he he, he writes Nacho. dispatches, you know, Marco, Macho Libre. He does, but so like he's not that guy. He moved there and and, and became one of them. That's what's right. his idea. Yeah, and now so he's, he's called Delegate Zero. So the name, yeah. it's not the name. He did that for like I guess uh, to start this revolutionary movement, Chapas. It was all because of NAFTA agreement in the 1990s. Yeah, early were, 1992. And they were appropriating um, indigenous lands. Yep. And they, um, well, the Mexican government is the, the they. And it was an uprising, and he led it. And he did not want to be the Che Guevara of the group. You want, okay, I, I'm here, I'm participating, but I, I receive orders from the delegates. That's what they call the, the revolutionaries, mm-hmm. the Zapatistas. Yeah. And it's really interesting, that whole disguise and... You know what I'm I'm trying to so like what he did then is he <coughs> he wrote his dispatches from these actual wars that were going on. Right. From the point of view of a cockroach named Don Dorito. Oh. That's right. Oh right, right. We talked about yeah, that. Yeah, but like yeah. this is like I, I mean he did a good job and stuff. Yeah. As a person. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he appropriated this culture. He the best way it's more like a, a missionary kind of thing, you know? So you're the, you're not trying to appropriate. You're going to come in and wait, bring Christ to them or something. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're. What's the opposite of appropriate? Pro, propagate, right? Instead of appropriating their culture, you're propagating your own. Right. Like we we I think we talked about that yesterday. You're propagating it. That's right. Yeah. So you can go and live a life. I remember that. What, what was the name? Use propaganda to propagate it. So check this out. So, idea. so here's a dispatch from from Sub Comandante Marcos, and it's like a coded message for a real that was happening in a real war where they were killing soldiers of the Mexican government. You know, Dorito. The story I'm going to tell you came to me the other day. It is the story of a small beetle who wears glasses and smokes a pipe. I met him one day as I was looking for my smoking tobacco and couldn't find it. Suddenly. On one side of my hammock, I saw that a bit of tobacco had fallen and formed a small trail. I followed it to see where my tobacco was and to see who the hell had taken it and was spilling it. 
A few meters away behind a rock, I found a beetle sitting at a little desk, reading some papers and smoking a tiny pipe. Ahem, ahem, I said, so that the beetle would notice my presence, but he paid no attention to me. Then I said, listen, that tobacco's mine. The beetle took off his glasses, looked me up and down, and told me angrily, please, Captain, I beseech you, do not interrupt me. Do you not realize I'm studying? So, <laughs> and this is the dispatch that he sent from the scene of the action? Yeah. Because yeah. one of the things that Zapatista and is that, took... And is that code or what is... Sometimes. Oh, yeah. Or... Totally. Um, yeah. Or allegory? <clears throat> yeah. And then so then the next one would be like, here's a message from the cockroach. Right? The beetle. Yeah, from the beetle. Sirs, here's a message demonstrating that the man is... That man is the only animal that risks falling into the same trap twice. Indeed, it would be good if you would send a copy of the much mentioned lot of the federal troops and all that. And it's so the ah. so <laughs> Soup Comandante Marcos has moved into the woods and be, he's right. six foot two and has become like a Chiapa. They're like little people, you know, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so. That, then he becomes his character, and then the character creates another character to communicate real information in the newspapers of Mexico about right. the war. Right. It's pretty heavy. That's pretty... Right, Don Dorito. So, so you've got these nested, a nested narrative. Yeah, and it's all true, though. And it's all based, I think, on an act of an appropriation. That's like... so. Correct. That's the thing, though. People, like, we all talk about traveling and shit. You tell me you don't go travel somewhere to come and appropriate the cool shit you ate and drank and listened to and whatever happened when you were on the road, right? That's what you do when you travel. Yeah, oh, that, I went to France. Now we have this nice uh, rosé. Every yeah. you know, Beaujolais <laughs> <laughs> right? Nouveau. Oh, it's just wonderful. <laughs> Quick, we only have two <laughs> weeks to drink it. Writer as a writer as a, an authentic and convincing tourist. Well. Because you have what writers that don't do it well, so they just go stay in the Dominican Republic and I'm not talking in, in about a very writing. nice, you know, oceanfront community. Or you have the other tourist that wants to go in and get the real hotel. You know, yeah, be with the. He's talking about human nature, right? That it's 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 human. You're talking about human nature. That it's just human nature to want to do this, to be a tourist. And yeah, to, and, and to, to take the, stuff and to take stuff, so that you know you've pissed on that bush. Yeah. So it's part of your turf. You want to bring home souvenirs? No, maybe it's it's a it's a learned culture in certain senses. But on the other hand, I, I really think that that's that's what it is. You see things, you copy them. Mm -hmm. You know, and and as an artist, no matter what the consequence of appropriating material, you're still able to know that hey, I can, I want to write a book about being an Eskimo. You know, around Nanook of the Norse time. No. People used to do that. Right. No, is that an offensive thing? Anymore? So, so then if, if I can't do that, then really the option is that I can write about myself. I can write about like only things that I can verify are part of my culture. And if they ran me up the, the block about me writing about like, you know, off on the edge, go to the bar all the time, drunks in Wisconsin, for instance, fuck, I never go to the bar. I hate it. It's a bunch of Trump supporting drunk ass rednecks. Yeah. The food sucks. Fuck right. them. But you know, like, so I, I'm I'm pretending I'm that person. You know, what's I mean, what's? Can I not do that? I don't know. Somebody, <laughs> somebody just came in. 
Wait, I, I see all Same. four of us here. Oh, right. I don't know. That was yeah. That was the hit squad coming in. Hey, hi, Ann. Hi. It's Mike's daughter. Yep. There's yep. the kid. She's hanging out with us too. Uh, it's borderline reductive in the sense that you can't assume that, the, that there's a famous stories back in the in the eighties and in the eighties when the um, in Mar del Plata they they knew when the Marines were coming in or the U.S. Navy were stopping at the port to restock and all this stuff and and all the prostitutes in central in, in, in you know in Rosario or in Argentina were all gone heading towards Mar del Plata. And they were expecting, and they were dressed a certain way. It was like, well, you guys are painting your faces, your hair, is, your hair is darker, and you look more like gitanas, like Spanish women. Well, the Americans are coming. We have to give them what they think we are. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. You know, it's... Hmm. That's funny. And then... That's a weird inv- inversion of... of <laughs> right. We're going to pretend to be who we are. Right. How about yeah. this, then? No, I know that, I know that people tell you we've got to read other writers, you know? Of course. And they always say, you know, mature poets don't imitate, mature poets steal, you know? So that means, you know, what you're supposed to do is you read Flannery O'Connor, guess what you're supposed to do? Write Southern Gothic stories. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, nobody does that. There's a, there's a spot on the end of it. <laughs> no, that's a big Southern there's construction. There's a spot on the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, so we're trained to do that. You know, you write poems like you write you know, sonnets and villanelles and cursus and sustinas, you know? These are things where well, you're... Well, I don't hey, know, but okay. You're, well, you're, you're, I know. There, there's, there's forms. There's rhyme limitations yeah. and, yeah. and syllable limitations and stuff like that. You know, but you, you read how somebody does it. Then you do it. I mean, I mean, that's how you learn how to play musical instruments or right. paint or, or, I think or build houses. Or, right. We're coming back to this. We keep coming back to this I, same, I think the same a, idea. I think you're, you're absolutely right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest a, a way what we're really doing when what really makes for interesting writing is not when you make a character part of some other culture. Like for me to, to write, I'm going to go study a, the reservation and write a convincing Native American character and he's going to be true Native American all the way down the line right. to get it right. You know what I'm going to end up with? A stereotype. So the thing that's interesting to write is not how somebody is part of their culture, but how somebody is different from the norms of their culture. Let's think of this more, more carefully. So if, if you're going to, what was, what was the term you were using for a generalized? Stereotype. Like a stereotype. Yeah. You know? Now, no matter what you do, you select details and only present a few of them. So you're presenting a generalization that's going to connect to a reader's head and they're going to fill in their own blanks. Our nature yes, right. is to stereotype everything. Somebody comes towards you. To classify you things. With so that we can deal with and, it. Yeah. Right. Somebody right. approaches you quickly and they frown on their face and you go, oh, you might be mad. You yeah. might not be. Wilson will snap at him in an instant. He'll know. Right. But yeah. we, we don't necessarily. It's a, yeah. We're making a stereotype. We do this when we meet people. When, you know, with our our yeah, friends. We make assumptions. That's how we do okay. it. So when you're writing, you're, you're trying to connect on that level with somebody else. So like, you know, if I say, well, we're, we're, we're here at, at my place in Missouri and I got the 1967 Camaro up on blocks in the back, you know, like that's, that shows you so much, right? 
Yes. But that's, but then that's what you want to get past. You want to get that out but there the so you is- establish a locale. And then you got people doing people stuff. As specific individual people, but once not, you see that, not as being you know products of their culture. Once you see that, that Chevy up on blocks, however, mm-hmm. the people are going to be already fit into that world by a whole mess of associations the readers are going to make anyway. Right. So the whole thing, you're, you're com- the only way you can communicate with a perfect stranger by words is to use stereotypes and generalization. You refer to something they already understand. Yeah. Right? They understand that, you know, in this class of people, they, you know, you're going to find cars up on blocks. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, just think there's a, there's an evil character is good character. Yes. I'm just saying that that's great, but that's only your starting point. That's just fuck. Get, I don't know. You, I you think it's so there. important. To, I think maybe that's the starting point. But it, that that general, I hate these generals. Well, in the context of being general, but that you must achieve that at all times. Reading at all times is an act of abstracting and putting yes. what you read into what somebody else is thinking. Then therefore, misconceptions, stereotypes, and all that—it's built in to, to human utterance. Right. You know, so how, how, how are we going to overcome that? Why, why do you have to overcome it? Well, then you got to figure out, like, you know, we're getting to the point, and, and maybe rightfully so, that, you, that like, you, you got to stay within your lane. You can write about this. Okay, here's what it is. Here's, here's what it is. You can't about, get out of your lane no more. It's about stealing somebody's story, okay? So if you, if I write the story of the Native American guy on the reservation, and I make a million dollars and have a huge bestseller, I've stolen somebody's story. But that's different from uh, me deciding I know something about the reservation, I'm going to set this story on the reservation, but at, you know, 20 pages, 30 pages into the story, this isn't going to be a story about Native Americans, this is a story about two brothers who are competing for their dad's attention, and who were promised land, and and it unfolds from there, and it doesn't hinge on the fact that this is the Indian reservation, you know? It's just that everything that happens has to happen somewhere. And so, you know, like I live in Santa Monica, if everything, if all my stories happen in Santa Monica, how interesting would that be? We'd all just be having a wonderful day. That's the end game, though, man. What? That all your stories are going to have to be sent in Santa Monica. Well, yeah, I'm not buying it. Right. And I'm telling you why I'm not buying it. Right. But see, the thing is, is, is politically, we support the very idea that would want to be really worried about appropriation and stealing cultures and all that stuff, right? But the, F, the, the for sure, you know, like the core thing that, you know, I don't Okay, if those two songs didn't demonstrate anything, at least they demonstrated that there is this gray area between what you're admiring and pulling into your own scene versus what you're stealing. Right. And I think that the whole appropriation thing is just a a way it's, it's like a social movement of saying, be aware of this, that not every story is your story. Yeah. And I, so we agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. But yet at the same time, time, every story is my story. It's your story. You know, but you know what makes it your story it makes it your story because you're writing about people and you are people and they are people. Right. I, that sounds a little, I know that sounds a little up with people, but. 
Yeah, do you get what I'm saying? That yeah. That's where the, you're connecting with the people in the story, not generally speaking with the the teepees and the uh, howling coyotes at sunset, necessarily. If you just have the reservation, you don't have a story. For the record, this is an interesting story. I was not allowed to uh, play cowboys and Indians when I was a kid for that very reason. This is in the 60s. Seriously? Yeah. Neither wow. was I allowed to uh, play with toy guns. You know, I didn't have any of that stuff that was not allowed in our house at that time. You know, so for, for uh, appropriation and for like the, you know, violent stereotypes, like it's cool to run around shooting people, for instance, you know? That's funny. My See, parents, man. that's, you know, you, you met my mom. It's yeah. like, considering the way she, <laughs> she presents herself, you know, it's remarkably progressive. Slightly, yeah. o- slightly overweight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, slightly who's, overweight. Who's yeah. trying to? Who's trying to? But is this is this about? just ma- what Menasha women are like? Well, <laughs> They're yeah. husky voiced and overweight. Yeah, smoke she cigars. Was, she was like the Menasha version of B.F. Skinner or something like that. <laughs> 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 eating bratwurst and stuff. I'm sorry. Oh, it's a hard. It's a hard topic, man. I, I you know what? Everybody, I get on edge every time it comes up. I know you've gotten busted for your your Barbie stories. Yeah, right? for sure. Which bunch of stuff, and then like you know, and listen that he goes slides right by it. We're not going to hear a Barbie story today, are we? He's still burnt. You're still feeling burned about that. Yeah. What happened? I, well, I I for a while my my friend Seth uh, Townsend was taking pictures of Barbie dolls around his house. He had two little girls. And they they just drop them wherever they were, and like it's in California, it's in Culver City right here, you know. So the kids were playing outside all the time, and like you know that you see like a little wet spot that the sprinklers left, you know. Yeah. He'd find like Barbie left there face down, it looked like she did it, you know, dove nude off a building, <laughs> right? <laughs> or you'd just see a picture of two two naked feet sticking up out of a bucket, oh, yeah, a garbage can. <laughs> Right, so I, I you always I, know it's Barbie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I saw those pictures, you know, and then like the idea was that I would try to write a uh, like a narrative that would go along with that that Barbie who had died or was in some kind of kind of unusual sort of a yeah. It became your short your story prompt for like a little piece of flash fiction, right? And then I'd write a piece of flash fiction, and, and like, and I also had lived in Southern Illinois. And there was just a certain kind of a, a woman, you know, girl, you know, like a who was bought all her clothes at the mall and kind of went to, you know, Fuddruckers for happy hour on Wednesday night every week. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I thought, man, I see these pictures, you know? So, like. Uh, I thought your stories had a kind of poignancy to them. I always felt yeah. Barbie is. is in the same way that clowns are not funny, Barbie always is kind of a sadness beneath her her so vacuum vac- formed happiness. I'm going to show this this to my. I got my laptop here, and they probably won't be able to see it too well. But this is a the picture is a garbage can, and you can see Barbie's feet. Tip it forward it's, a little bit. Yeah, okay. You can see, I can see it. Yep. Now. Yep. Yep. Okay. <clears throat> this isn't the probably the best one to read, but it's. Uh, Are you having second thoughts? 
Okay, there we go. Just thinking okay. out loud. So we're seeing it. So like this is I I, I was going to appropriate what it's like to be a woman of a certain age, mm-hmm. you know, based on seeing this picture. And the the title of it was say there's a picture of a Barbie's feet sticking out of a garbage can. The title of the story is Thanks a Lot. Okay, so she blamed her father. He used to tell her happiness was the ability to ignore the score. You're behind your whole life, he would say, but in the end, you'll win. He lost. He died early, heart attack, playing softball. She was in uh, in high school, 16 years old, and somehow took the long view of it. She kept smiling. She moved forward. She worked two years checking at Target, then two years waitressing at Ruby Tuesdays, then went to a Super Bowl party at Buffalo Wild Wings and met a guy fresh out of law school. He was into golf and sports on TV and liked pina coladas, he said, and winked. He smiled a lot, too. He was a nice guy. She married him a year later on Super Bowl Sunday because that felt right, because the championship game meant so much to him. <laughs> it goes on for a couple more paragraphs, you know? Yep. But you see, like, I just, I went into something. I took that whole thing. Right. Right? I'm and, totally with you on that, though. I, I, and, and some of the stuff, you know, like, like I'll just read you the end of one. These, it never matters what the end is in terms of the story, you know? Mm-hmm. But like this is the end of this. Just when the, the picture is Barbie's looking up out of a out of a Barbie car, just uh-huh. about to see you know. And I ever she's she's living with a boy who teaches world literature at the community college and stuff. Mm-hmm. And her and she works at the um at Walmart. And her older manager wants to to, to bang her. So like so like I'm just offering this. This is totally appropriated. But there's something about this, you know. So, like, her manager had a blue Chevy S10, clean, shiny in the late afternoon sun. He backed into a spot and stepped on the parking lot asphalt and hiked up his pants and made his way toward her car like an animal might do a block of feed. No matter how much exercise he might do, for the rest of his life, he would always have a double chin. He would always be a Walmart associate. He had gone as far as he was going to go. So had she. She opened her door and looked up into his eyes a milky gray and smiled a smile that wasn't true, that wasn't human need, that wasn't love, that wasn't why life is worth living through, not yet, not this afternoon, not in this town. But it was the only smile she had left. All right, now, whatever. But I'm a... For for me, I'm not really a particularly lyric writer. I tell fart jokes or whatever. But like that for me, that was a lyric thing, you know. Yeah, it's very lyrical. Yeah. Right? But I appropriated it and I I'm fucked because it's a woman character and so I don't the only see, time we'll ever hear of it is here no, in this room. Don't, I, I no. don't see how, how how can that be appropriation when you're you really appropriating character. the point of view of a Barbie doll. Trust me, I have I have done public readings of these where you project the mm-hmm. picture on a, on a, a yeah. in an auditorium, yeah. and they think you're a, a yeah. serial you know, killer. Like half of them think, man, this is pretty cool. They laugh at the jokes because you know I got yeah. a lot of jokes, and then you know other people like I'm not going to look this man in, in his eye. He's a he's a criminal. And really, that's appropriator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got no right to. I, I don't say know. these I, things. I can't see that. I think the general public would go for this. Mm. Yeah, well, I can't. I can't see that. On the other hand, true appropriation. I, I do agree that there shouldn't be like a, a class of landed aristocracy with great educations. 
who exist to tell the stories for everyone. Right. Right. You know, right. like that we have to agree. We don't want that. Right. You know, but everybody should be. That, we just need more people. No. We, need, we need more diversity. That's we what, do, though. That's what I meant when I said if you steal somebody's story and you sell a million books, then that's exactly what it is. You're the white aristocrat with the publishing preferences and contacts, and you're telling somebody else's story. Right. So that's a, a lot of this dialogue that happens about this cultural appropriation, I think, has to do with simply that I own this story and I want to make the bucks from it. And right. then if you take it. So then, then, then we're really not talking about small press fiction, though. Because nobody's yeah. going to make any fucking money off that. Right? right? So, like, when we're having until, this appropriation discussion. Nobody, nobody just says, oh, I'm just going to write small press fiction. No. Everybody, yeah, their, no, it, everybody thinks they're going to, in their heart of hearts, they're going to hit with a book. They're talking about TV. They're talking about movies. Okay, well, whatever the, cur- books. You know whatever what the current yeah. book is, I'm saying, whatever it is, it's this storytelling medium that's going to pay off bigly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Donald. <laughs> very bigly. You're such a rascal. Very, very, very bigly. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking out my ass, obviously. You know? I, think, the, I think you That's got, what happens when white middle-aged guys... I think you got guys, burned in a certain situation. Oh. A certain cultural context, you got you got shamed. Yeah. Oh well. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I I read a few of those and I thought they I thought there were some of them were really they were funny, but they were also uh, touching and sad. But and, they're appropriate. So like you know what what are you appropriate? so right now my novels. Let's see. It's about a guy who aren't you gonna pretty much a- like me, and he lives uh, pretty much at my house. And he rides bicycle pretty much like I do, and he, he likes you know. Well, I guess the you're food sa- network. You're safe so far. You know what I'm saying though. <laughs> yeah. Does he have a friend named Chuck Butts? Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. There you go. Lives next Everybody door. in Wisconsin's got a friend named Chuck Butts. <laughs> so you're saying you're stereotyping your own culture? Oh, he's become mm-hmm. a regional writer. I'm just staying. I'm staying in with my. Wisconsin Gothic. <laughs> That's was, yeah. I'm staying in my lane, motherfucker. I, that, I, I'm not, you know, staying in my lane. Just stay in your lane. Unlike staying those, in your lane. Un- unlike those two riding abreast in front of me today. Oh, yeah. That I could have. Yeah. Rick, by the way, is a wonderful driver. <laughs> he, he moves around through the streets, I'll say that. Oh, Rick yeah. is, no, listen, audience... Like, you may even have met Rick at one of his many international appearances. <laughs> but, you know, and he, he's nice and everything, but get him behind the wheel of the car. This is a different human being. Holy oh, moly. Fucking A. So he used to be a taxi cab driver. And it's like, man, whoa, I'm not going <laughs> to move over Uber. <laughs> Let right, Jimmy like, take over. It's zero to 50 on a little side street. Yeah, yeah. Just fucking flying up to stop signs. Hits the brakes. Didn't even hardly look. Launch. Whoa, we're away again. There's all these <laughs> dip kind of things in the road here now to slow you down. And Rick's got a way to vault the car over the top. <laughs> <laughs> we're catching air, it's, man. It's about the launch. Listen, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> don't, don't go too far with this because he's still driving driving us around town yeah, right. all right yeah i know i'm yeah. starting to get worried <laughs> well you want to drive but you know as you watch everybody drives like that. <laughs> i come from a town of about sixty thousand people and yeah it, it, nobody 
drives the way they drive here at all. And I've been to Menasha where Mike lives, and the posted speed limit everywhere is 25. And you know what? Except in front of his house where it's 15. Right. (laughs) I'm telling you, so like in here. I'm telling you, I went 17 down that stretch. Yeah. You you could get. (laughs) But so like the the, the rule of thumb is, is if you're not five miles over. Right. You're going to be fine. That's all right? we, we have, we've so, all grown up with that. I yeah. know people in Menasha, Wisconsin, who who set their cruise control for 29 when they're in town. They're yeah. <laughs> so not going a full five over. Long at 29. Yeah. But that's like, oh my god! And some of the roads, the roads are like three miles long without a stop sign, so it's just like 25. And yeah, you go 30, man. He's waiting for you up yeah. the road. You're risking it. Oh, it's like alligators. What's an antelope cross the stream? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Death yeah. roll. Oh, it's yeah. fucking great. They nail them. Here comes the wildebeest. Herb. That's great. <laughs> so tomorrow we're, we're going to take a drive up the coast. <laughs> what the fuck was that? What? I didn't make that. Was, that was my maniacal laugh. Oh. <laughs> I don't oh, want to scare you guys off right away. <laughs> Acme! I jumped. Well, on that note, perhaps we'll take a short, a short, break. short interlude. I, I, I feel like we were still doing our introduction. Yeah, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, all the time in the world. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back. It's Acme. Go get a peanut butter sandwich. Actually, I think we're going to call it a night. And we invite you to do the same, and we'll see you right back here when Acme's California Adventure resumes with episode number five. And until then, have a pleasant whenever, and happy writing. <laughs>